Welcome to the After Party with the Sober Kates, where anything goes. Come hang out with us every Thursday, Thursday, while we sip our favorite booze-free beverage and talk candidly about our lives and sobriety and our party girl pasts. Disclaimer, this podcast may contain some triggers regarding drinking and includes mature content. These stories and experiences are our own, and what has worked for us may not necessarily work for you. This is not a substitution for treatment of any kind. Thank you. Thank you, and let's get the after party started. Hey. Hey. Thursday, Kate. Thanks. Thanks. Um, Same to you, Katie. Thank you. Another uh, quarantine edition of the after party. Yeah, we are currently talking through video chat right now, and it almost feels the same because our walls are kind of painted the same color, it looks like. (laughs) We both have wooden bookshelf armoire things going on. Mm -hmm. Same people. My soul. (laughs) I'm recording from Katie's soul. It's okay. (laughs) What are you drinking? Um, I'm real sparse on drinks in the house, so... I am drinking Waterloo Black Cherry Sparkling Water, and I'm a fan of anything Black Cherry, so that's why I got this. I will cheers. Cheers. To that. What are you drinking? Basic Polar. Polar. Seltzer. (laughs) Fruit, because I love all grapefruit seltzer, so. Do you? Yes. Oh, my God. Grapefruit is like my least favorite flavor, besides raspberry. I love it. Raspberry tastes like Smirnoff. Mm. Very triggering. So what have you been up to? I feel like we haven't talked in a while. I know. Um, like Ten minutes, but I still just feel so distant from you. I know. It's so hard not, distant. not seeing you in person, even though we rarely see each other in person to begin with. Well, before this, we were getting pretty good at seeing each other again. So At least once a week. Yeah. Um, this week, I just... I worked Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, um, had long schedules those days, but, um, I was off Thursday, Friday, and today got some chores done today. Um, I built, I helped build a fence in my yard. We didn't have a fence, so we needed to get a fence for the dog and we built one today. I didn't, I didn't actually build any of it. I just was weeding. Yeah. You starting a garden back there too? Yeah, so there was already a plot there, and it just was overgrown with weeds. So I did a lot of weeding today, and hopefully going to start a garden. Do you feel added pressure to be productive with the time off? Um, I think I did, but Thursday I literally woke up, took the dog for a walk, and then the dog and I both napped for three hours, and I didn't actually get off the couch until like 3 p.m., And I think that now that my schedule has changed where I now have a week off in between my work days, there's less pressure to be productive or meal prep or do laundry or get things done. So I'm like giving myself a little bit of leeway, like Thursday and Friday weren't too productive, but today was very, very productive. And then it's my husband's birthday on Monday, so... Tomorrow and Monday, we'll probably just do what he wants to do, which is just, you know, go out back. We can't do much. (laughs) 
yeah, gotta stay home if you can as much as possible. What have you been doing this week? This week, I was super busy with work, like, and being in meetings from the start of my day till the end of my day. And they'd be planned out, but then, like, people would call me in between the meetings. Um, so, as a introvert, I was so exhausted at the end of every day. It's like, absolutely no silence whatsoever the entire day. Yeah, I feel like, is it harder for you to do it over the phone or like over technology and not in person? I, I have a... Uh, you like it better in technology? Yeah. Well, I wasn't, I wasn't training. Or? I wasn't training anyone this week. I was okay. just on a group, I was on like a group project. So, um, which became a lot of work, but felt good though. Cause I was like the lead of the project and, uh, It kept my mind busy. I was going to say, does it feel like you're kind of getting back to it, like a new normal at least? Yes. So for myself, like routine is super, super important for my mental health. And when I'm on the road traveling, I don't have any routine whatsoever. So the benefit and what I'm grateful for, for being home is that I now have a routine uh, I moved from my room into the office at like 9 a.m. I've worked out every day this, or not every day this week. Whoa. Uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I've worked out four times this week. Um, but I just like got on the schedule where I can wake up, get enough rest, wake up in the morning, um, work out, eat like healthy meals. And uh, it's kind of been helping me stay sane. Something that I also started this week was a workshop with Elizabeth Earnshaw, who is uh, Liz Listens on, on Instagram. She had posted online about an inner child workshop. And the more that I looked into it, there's a new workshop every month. And it was, I've been having a lot of difficulty with the pandemic. And I think it is the instability and kind of loneliness and uncertainty. So I think my baseline anxiety level is just elevated. And I had been finding that I have been going from, normally you go from like zero to 100, but I already starting at 50. So going to 100 was becoming very easy for me and I was getting super irritated and angry. And our producer had to feel the blunt or brunt of that. And, um, it just kind of like appeared in my Instagram store at like the right time when I, I knew that it was time for me to start doing some work on myself again. Did you, you found her before, didn't you? Didn't you try to do an online type of group therapy before and you did a one session? No, that was with a different therapist. Okay. And she, as far as I know that she has a, that was MC McDonald after that. She hasn't done, I don't think that she's done any, but this is like, that was something that she was just like throwing out there. This is more regulated. So last week we did an inner child workshop with another therapist. We had a meditation. We had last night um, a group chat uh, with the whole group. And I was able to share and like talk about what had been going on with me this week 
And someone make a great point that was like, it's so nice to just be able to share because we don't have an agenda and you're not paying someone to talk. Right. Paying for someone to listen to you. Right. And give you those sometimes cliche responses or cookie cutter. Well, this is how I'm going to respond to you because this is what I think you're going through. And you have, I think, the opportunity to have a lot of people to bounce ideas off of that all can relate to what you're going through. Right. And it's super helpful for me to hear other stories. Makes me feel less lonely. Makes me feel less less damaged, I guess. Um, So it's kind of like the same thing when we first got sober, when we were like binge listening to podcasts about other stories and like even listening to stories that weren't even similar to ours. I think we even related to them and we were like, wow, like it's just like the, this human suffering, I guess, which is unfortunate, but like once you acknowledge that you had been suffering, I think that immediately eliminates like kind of like a weight off your shoulders. Right. I mean, to live is to suffer. I forget who said that, but that is a quote. And I think that it's, (laughs) such an important thing to realize what you're suffering from and learn some coping skills or some tools to use to, I don't want to say not suffer at all because that would be like a utopia of, oh, look, I fixed my problems. Now I'm happy because things are going to come in. You're going to suffer from small things, from large things. It's just about getting your mind frame into a space where when those things come, you can alleviate some of that suffering on your own. That you're your own coping mechanism is all of the tools that you build up, all of the work that you've put into yourself. I forgot where I was going with this. (laughs) No, you have a great point. I think when we lose those tools and we just want to get rid of the suffering, that's when we fall back into addiction. So it's... And the numbing and whatever whatever your numbing looks like, uh, when the suffering becomes too much to bear and we don't know how to deal with it, I think that's where we that's how we end up there. Right. Like when we were drinking, I know for my own self, I went through a lot of trauma. I went through a lot of hardships and I kind of basked in that suffering. So I was waiting in a pool of suffering and I don't think I wanted to get out because I wanted to hold on to that suffering as a life raft of like, I am justified for what I'm feeling and I don't have to put in work because suffering's inevitable and what I've been through, I'm allowed to suffer. And I think that that led to a lot of times drinking to the point of blacking out So a lot of the times drinking was an escape from the suffering to just turn off that light switch of suffering. Because I think that on the outward appearance, people thought that it was like good time Kate. My dad used to call me party Kate because he, that's what he saw. All he saw was, I want to party. I'm having a good time. I'm like the life of a party. But it was that momentary lapse of the suffering that I enjoyed about drinking. So it was taking away any suffering that I had in the moment. And I don't know if I liked 
the taste of alcohol. I don't know if I enjoyed the conversations I had with the people, but I enjoyed how it made me feel because I didn't have to think about my issues or my problems for that four hours. I mean, the next day it would come down exponentially worse, but in that time I escaped in the alcohol. Right. Cause you spend the whole night escaping from whatever you're trying to escape from. And then you spent the whole next day shame spiraling from whatever you did while you were escaping. And, and then you sit there and think, Oh my God, why did I try to escape from this thing in the first place? Because it's still there. It's still weighing down on me. I still don't know how to deal with it. So when did you think that you started acknowledging your suffering and knowing that something was just, I guess, not right? Um, well, I think it was probably around 2008 or not, no, 2010 maybe. That's such when a does it, When does it switch from Party Kate to something might actually be wrong with me? It was definitely after I got kicked out of college and was forced to move home that when you're living in that environment of college and not having any parental supervision and then moving back home, you kind of realize, okay, what I used to do in college, now I'm sneaking around to do at home and we can't just walk to parties anymore. I think I got involved more with drinking and driving I was putting myself in more difficult or difficult, dangerous situations that I didn't like the way I was treating myself because even putting yourself in those risky situations is just a form of self-harm. So I think, you know, when you go home to a house with a bunch of roommates in college, all's fun and games, like you're having a good time. When you go home to a house that you live in with just your dad and the room next to you is the room where your brother died, it gets to be a really dark place. So I think it's when I had to move home after college is when I realized that I was in too deep. Um, I didn't have any ability to help myself out at that point, but I realized that I was way too deep into my... I don't know if I can call it addiction. Do you recall doing any self-reflection during that time or being honest with yourself at all? Um, yes, I think that's when I um, honestly went and saw my first therapist um, for the reason that I was trying to get back on track with school. I got into a different school I was trying to get back to what I thought was my baseline, which is where I was in high school of like straight A's on the right path. And I don't think that I was ready for it. So I went, saw my first therapist. He happened to be a mindfulness therapist and I was not ready for that at all. So I immediately went in. I am diagnosed with ADD and ADHD and I've known that since I was seven years old, but my parents said, you got straight A's, you don't need medication. 
So I was like, that's the first part that I need to help myself out with because I think a lot of other mental health issues result in addiction if they go untreated. So that was my first self-reflection was trying to get myself into therapy to correct that issue. It didn't turn out well because he gave me a meditation CD and I was like, the fuck is this? Like, give me the pills. Yeah, he gave you a meditation CD, but also a stimulant. He didn't give me the pills. Oh, he didn't. No, because he's like, I'm not going to prescribe you medication. I do it a different way. <laughs> so I was like, okay, this isn't working. So I was wondering where we got them from. I guess that wasn't you. It was. That was a different therapist I went to years oh, okay. later. Gotcha. And it was somebody else that we got it from, which gotcha. I'll tell you after this. No, I know who it was. But yeah. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I think that was my first going inward and trying to figure out what is the root of the issue that I was dealing with. Do you, do you have a specific incident in mind or I mean like a situation in mind that made you look inward or was like a turning point for you, but might not have caused any action from it yet? I would say that... I have, well, I'll preface this by saying that I don't have much memory of my life, which is very common for people, and I'm finding out how much more common it is for people that have suffered trauma in their life, because, you know, you're trying to forget it, and whatever, for it's buried, and, um, I have from, I would say, I don't remember my emotional state during college. I remember yeah. the one time that we went to a counseling center. And I remember, so that was after uh, Gigi, my dog, had died. And I guess I was very sad. And I think we only went for like an intake or consultation. I think you might have gone a couple more sessions in there. Um, so that was kind of like the start of it, I guess. I was in an abusive relationship when I was in my early 20s. Um, I think during that time, looking back, I can say that a lot of my reactions during that time weren't healthy. And then um, I would say maybe around 26, no, 27, I think I kind of realized that I was depressed, but it took about two more years and something happening to make me call a therapist. I think that's the hardest part was for me. And I have to ask for you, like the hardest part is making that first phone call to find a therapist or like going to your first one or two appointments. Right. That's like such a paralyzing situation that it was for me. The first thing that, and I think I talked about this last episode was, I think I asked my uh, general practitioner and yeah. I would tell her like, 
my mood was always the same. It's not like I was, like, sometimes it would go down to where I was sad, you know, uh, but I never really got that high or happy. And I just thought that that was normal for a while. And then I talked to her about it over a couple of different visits. And I guess it had been going on for long enough where she had to, to prescribe me antidepressants. But like, that was my whole thing. Like she never really accompanied that with like, you should probably see someone. <laughs> right. So, and then, yeah, it was just so hard to just make that, make that phone call on your own. But around that time is when I started doing like research, research for the first time. And like, it is really difficult to actually find a therapist and one that goes with your insurance and uh, now further down the road, one that is going to cater to what you actually need. Not just like. How was your week? What's been going on? Yes. It's almost like there's some therapist that remain surface level therapist. So they deal with the here and now, but they don't trudge up with what went down in your childhood or um, just big traumas that affect your overall life. Sometimes, I don't know if it's um, just different specialties in that area. I know that some people specialize in just childhood trauma. Right. There are very few and far between, especially with accepting your insurance. And it does become expensive if you find someone that doesn't accept insurance. And it's like, what, $150 a visit? Usually. Or even me. I mean, I didn't have that great of insurance. And there was a time when I had to go every week and it was $80 a week. Oh my God. I remember because every week I kept saying, I'll find you someone that's in network. You're like, that's my insurance. That's my like, Okay. <laughs> I was like, wait, what? It was like every week I was asking you that. Yeah. yeah that's not good coverage at all. No. Um, so I went through a couple different ones. Um, in October, 2016, I finally got to like where I was the most depressed I'd ever been in my life. And that was like the tipping point for me. Um, I had fallen in love with someone that was like my best friend at the time, but it was unavailable romantically. And that all came to a tipping point. And I was so deeply sad because this is someone that I had been spent like so much time with over the last year. Um, And so I saw a therapist and what ended up happening was she would like relate stuff that I was saying back to her child, to her childhood. You can't see my face right now, people, but <laughs> I'm like, what? And I had never really gone to therapy before. So I was like, <laughs> but like, I had like a gut feeling this isn't normal. And it got to the point where I was like dreading seeing her. And like, thankfully she actually ghosted me. I ended Your therapist up just, ghosted you? Yes. Like, classic fuckboy ghosted me. I showed up for an appointment, and I had a recurring appointment every week, mind you. But I showed up during that time. Somebody was in there, and the receptionist was like, oh, I don't see it on the books. And I was like, excuse me? And um, then she didn't call me 
call me back for like two weeks after like realizing that that happened. And I was just like, this is so bad. It's the only time that I've ever written a Yelp review. For a therapist. Yeah. Oh my God. I wonder if she's still in practice. I don't know. I couldn't let anyone else like have that happen. So. Right. uh, That that was normal. Right. So I stopped, obviously, because I got ghosted and I was, you know, I didn't want to go through that whole process again of like finding someone else. So eventually like this, my heartache continued with the same person. And I, I guess I found a new therapist that I actually saw for a few years um, just because I liked her website. (laughs) And I liked the, I liked that I was able to email her instead of having to call. That was like huge for me. Yeah. Um, But then looking back on that, uh, she was great to talk things through and that's what it is, you know, like kind of like talking through your day-to-day, like what bummed you out? What are you having problems dealing with? So it was helpful because you know me, like I have problems all the time. (laughs) Not like I'm like, I'm just a, I don't want to say drama-seeking person, but like something is always happening to me. Everything is like more high stakes to you. Yes. Yes, exactly. Um, but then I look back at like some of the things that happened with her too. Like when she told me not to go to your bachelorette party. Wait, what? I told you this. When I was like like low on money and I was like complain about it a lot. She was like, well, maybe you want to save that money to go see Derek instead of going to Kate's bachelorette party. (laughs) And you told her, um, I will lose a friend. (laughs) That's not not an option. Like, so, and then it was like another thing that I had asked her about attachment theory. Do you know what that is? Like anxious, secure attachment. Um, is it like from not getting enough kind of like love and coddling almost when you're younger? Yeah. And then you feel like you need, feel the need, like when you're an adult to be. It's like how you are in your adult relationships. Yeah. So I remember like asking her about that once and she had never heard of it. And like, I wanted to talk about it so bad. And like, I just, I just really, really needed some, and I still do, some deeper trauma therapy, which I didn't really know like that was even a thing I think when I first started so I wish like she would have told me that kind of like how uh, your therapist told you that that it'd be better for you to see like a grief counselor yeah so I was going to like a mindfulness therapist she wasn't she's not really a therapist she's like a mindfulness counselor which is okay now but (laughs) definitely run into that uh 10 Right. So last year it was perfect for me. It's definitely what I needed. But when I first saw the one person, didn't work out. But yeah, I was seeing the mindfulness there, like um, counselor. And thankfully, I don't even know if I would have started my journey again. My aunt graciously paid for those sessions for me. So I was able to go with someone that I was already comfortable with, which is the the biggest step for me because I've seen maybe three or four therapists in between my first one 
and the one I have now. And they never stuck because I would see them one or two times. And I'd be like, I don't like that person. Like I was very, I was the one ghosting them. Like if they would try to schedule another appointment, I'd say nothing. (laughs) I would say nothing. That's what ghosting is. But good on you though, that uh, you recognize that you weren't comfortable with them. Yeah. Cause that's the biggest part for me is like, I can't open up to people I'm not comfortable with. So seeing the mindfulness counselor allowed me to get out some issues. And then that's when she suggested, she's like, you need somebody a lot more qualified than me in grief and trauma. And she actually um, referred me to a therapist that she had seen when her mother died. And he he was the head of this practice, but didn't accept insurance. So he was like $150 a visit. So I had talked to him on the phone and then he suggested someone in his practice, which is my current therapist. She just had a baby though, but um, she's a very, very good fit because she not only gave me tools how to deal with my everyday life, but certain situations. So my brother passed away as you know, from alcohol. And we were at a concert that night and I had the decision presented to me. Should I take him to the hospital? I don't think he's all right. At the time I was 18 years old and I decided, no, we can't get in trouble. So I think that's something that's traumatized me my whole life about making decisions because I had a decision and I made the wrong one and somebody died. So that's deeply embedded in me. And she helped me like bring that up and realize that I made the best decision that an 18 year old brain can make. My brain might not have been fully developed. I don't know what age it stops developing, but I always look at it from where I'm at now. Like, oh, I should have done that. But like we went through, we dug deep for that one that that's the best decision I could have made at that point. And I made a decision. So it was better than, I don't know, not doing anything. So my question for you is like working through that and now knowing that and being at peace, peace ish with that, has that like changed your life? Do you think that you would have been able to, ever come to this sort of conclusion or get yourself that level of help if you were still drinking? Um, No, because drinking, it really did tenfold on that. That one thought that my brother's death was my fault went through my head all the time. So I had the shame of drinking, the shame of what I did during drinking, and then that huge, huge dark cloud on top of all of it. So those other things might have been little drizzles on my head. I had the huge black cloud that was always torrential downpouring that in my mind, my brother's death was my fault. So I think that now that I've come, I I would call it peace-ish because it's still like such a, the deepest wound that, um, I had to do that. I had, I started this process last January. So I did like 12 months of therapy every week and I had to do it last year before I got married because 
I always had thought that I didn't deserve what I was getting in my life mm-hmm. and how like I met someone that I love and we're getting married and everything seems to be going well for me. But in the back of my head, I didn't think I deserved much of it because I always had that inkling of like, well, major survivor's guilt that like, why was it him? Why wasn't it me? We were at the same concert. We did all the same things and then working through it. I can now accept everything that's coming into my life, like buying a house, getting the best dog in the world, (laughs) getting married. I'm not sitting here feeling guilty. Like, am I lucking out now? I know okay, no, this is what's supposed to be happening in my life. This is what I'm making happen in my life. And that huge event in my life that redefined my whole family dynamic, my whole life, my whole future, I had no control over it. What happened was out of my control and it would have happened regardless of whether I keep thinking that's my fault or not. So, yeah, I mean, therapy saves lives over here, people. Yes, it does. And how, during that time, like, so when you're doing these huge, huge, transformative, introspective things, how difficult was it? Oh, my God. Like you said, I dreaded going to every weekly appointment, but not because... I didn't think it was going to be helpful, but because I was like, really, it's a Tuesday. I just want to go home. Like, I just want to like catch up on my TV shows. And I know I'm about to cry my eyes out and like bring up emotionally scarring things again. It's the most painful thing ever. And even walking out of the appointment, it's like, you feel a little bit like, okay, I got that out. But you're like crying on the way home. Yeah, because they're like, what does it all mean? Right. Do but you feel that way too? Uh, so for me, I think like the most transformative thing I kind of stumbled upon on myself, by myself, on myself. <laughs> it was when another different guy that I was seeing. And if anyone can definitely recognize a pattern here with me, but um he told me that it wasn't his responsibility to validate me. And that really stuck with me. And whatever it was, it just like clicked. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's not like, I need to be able to do that for myself. And like, why aren't I doing that for myself? And maybe, um, and I didn't, and that was like the last time I ever wanted to hear that. And that was like the last time I ever wanted to feel that. So I started doing my own research because I didn't want to keep choosing the same guy and discovered codependency. <laughs> it was like, I just always thought like codependency was like couples that were just like too reliant on each other and like they couldn't have their own independent life. But it's actually not that at all. It's like inner child stuff, severe uh, enmeshment. You never learned boundaries because you never had boundaries. You um, were never taught. I've like had to deal with the fact that I was never taught love like I was never taught how to love I never had a good example of love like I was 31 30 years old and I I was just realizing I didn't know what that was 
And at the same time, it's so, I, t- I cried so many tears, like learning this. But then it also brought so much peace to me knowing like, how the hell am I supposed to be in a healthy relationship when I have no idea what that looks like? And like, we'll talk about like all the relationships and more in another episode, but um, yeah, so um, Codependency No More by Melody Betty, and we say that pretty much every episode, but it really did change my life and um, brought to light some super, super painful revelations and like so much so that like it was, and of course I decided to do it during the summer. And um, it was um, something that I I needed that to happen. And I did so much self-reflection, so much pain that I actually haven't done any since then. Because I, you know, you go through that pain and you kind of have to then apply it to your life, right? So, you know, I applied it and um, now I was able to get into help healthy relationship so that was successful I think (laughs) yeah that's a hard book to even get through oh god you read like four pages and you're like I'm done for the week (laughs) (laughs) like oh is that the whole checklist about me I'm done (laughs) yeah um so now so that's what happened so now I've gotten to this point where I am just like not who I want to be in my relationship. And I don't know if it's a pandemic or what, but I realized it was kind of uh, time to start digging it again. And I, I, and this is like some serious, serious healing that I'm about to go through. And I can just tell because uh, the first, so the first workshop that we did for, Liz Lessons or Love Lessons, I believe it's called, Love Lesson 365. It's about inner child. And the second slide, all she said was, you need to realize that these things happened to you when you were a child and they're not your fault. And I lost it. Lost it. So I think like that just shows (laughs) that it's going to be really transformational for me. Yeah, sometimes it's one person telling you that it's not your fault or pointing out that it happened in childhood because that's the whole definition of conditioning is you're conditioned to react a certain way, to think a certain way. And that's a lot of times happens from a young child. So most people don't have those memories to begin with. Right. So how would we know, right? But I mean, I do have memories and a lot of them are like I a lot of them are bad and you know we're much more likely you know I'm sure I had good ones but we're much more likely to remember traumas and from the moment we're born this is the one thing that ghoster therapist told me (laughs) from the moment we're born we start forming these things and uh so now I'm looking at my life and I'm looking back and I'm learning about like the different inner childs, like the dismissed child and enmeshment, which is like a maybe become a new buzzword. But um, I, you know, I'm relating to all these childs who just 
children who never <laughs> who never had their needs met and you know I grew up never forming an identity or allowed to be myself and still in my adult life like I love my dad but he if I'm not living the life that he wants for me then you know it's not it's, it's not, not right for, for, for him so um and then I also like and then moving home is just like caused me so much regression from when I first learned about codependency that um and I've been saying that for a while now so I'm glad that I'm finally doing something about it moving home now during the pandemic no no like when I moved home back in August I think from then it's just been uh really a regression just being in the same environment where all that stuff happened to me. Yeah. I mean, that's your house from all middle school, all of high school. Like even if it's not happening, it happened. So what? I don't understand that part. Like if it's not happening to me, like as much, you know, in my adult, if it's not happening to me as much as my, in my adult life, that I did in my childhood. And like my parents aren't here, but like oh, it's okay. I still feel it, you know? Right. You still feel that obligation, like I'm in my dad's house, like I have to live by his rules still. I have to keep right. it clean. I have to I mean you almost you almost had a little mini heart attack when you saw crumbs on the counter the other week. <laughs> Well, that's just a whole other thing, living with your, my brother, so. <laughs> but, yeah. So, and I think that we can't ever begin to discover ourselves until we separate ourselves from our family. A hundred percent, because once you're still, especially living with them, but even when you move apart, if you're still in that codependency, a lot of times codependency, I think, is with children and their parents, and... It's oh, yeah. what and that's parents, where it all starts. That's how we learn right. codependent behaviors. Right. And it's, if you continue to live with that, even when you're living on your own in your adult life, it's so hard to split that tether because a drop of a, a phone call. I, I know I used to freak out if my dad would call me and I would miss the call. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, yeah. cause that just brought back to like high school. If I missed curfew or if, I didn't have his permission to go somewhere. I'd get the call and I know like I'm a deep shit. Oh my God. So now if I didn't my, answer a call. My phone was taken away from me. Yeah. It would be like, what were you like? You couldn't use the excuse. Like I was literally pooping. Like <laughs> you had to answer the call and now it's, it's definitely better, but going through that codependency and breaking those ties it was like still when the phone would ring and it was my dad, I, I would have a mini heart attack each time. What what am I getting in trouble for? Or I better pick that up before it stops ringing. Right. So living in fear, like your entire childhood, right? Like that can't, that's not going to have a good outcome as an adult, right? <laughs> right. So right. here we are. Here we are. Two, <laughs> two Kates breaking the cord, cutting the umbilical cord. Of our generational trauma. And I, 
I know for myself and I'll speak for you a little, and then you can speak on yourself too. But, um, like sobriety was the first step, I think for both of us to become who we actually are around our family, around friends, but internally deal with what's been going on our whole lives. What led us to drink. Yeah. Yeah. And the reasons we were drinking, we can now deal with them soberly. Even if it's by ourselves, we don't have to confront anybody, but we can come to peace and come to terms within ourselves about what's, what was going on and what made us drink. Right. And I think that's amazing because most people don't ever do anything like that. So, so that's why it's really important for both of us. Uh, to stay sober? Few- <laughs> no, just like... So sobriety was a great gift. And I will always say like, that was the best decision I've ever made for myself. And it was the first decision I've ever made for myself. But now like we know all these things and like we're so, we know so many things and we can, um, you know, I hope like when I have children that (laughs) I will be able to apply these things, you know? Right. And pass it down to the next generation and break. Yeah. Any cycle that we were in, good, bad. Okay, so we've definitely talked a lot about therapy and transformation, and I, you know, I think that is one of our one of my favorite parts of our journey together, is that we're both able to do that. And I'm just curious to think, like, if we were still drinking, like, what do you think that your life would look like? Would you ever done any of that discovery and? I think that I would have done some discovery, but it would have been um, like briefly, like I would have read a book and been like, that relates, not go any deeper, not bring up the hard stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I would, I don't know if like I would even be married or in a stable relationship because I think that was one of my main things was avoidance of love and picking the wrong people or picking people that I knew weren't available. So I don't think I would have even set myself up to have a partnership with someone that I could open up to. Um, it's kind of scary to think of like, if I didn't stop drinking where I was right? like, even emotionally, like I could be in the same place I am now without stopping drinking, but it would like, to me, it would like be like such a sad existence because nobody would know like everything that fucked me up in my head that I'm now untangling to know the true me. Right. You think you would be in the same situation you're in now, or do you think? No, I think it goes back to the the self worthiness, (laughs) right? I'm like, yeah, you didn't feel like you were worthy of love. So you didn't give love to anybody. You didn't make that a possibility. Um, I think that I would have still like hated myself and continue to punish myself with drugs and alcohol and be alone. Uh, Cause that's how I preferred it. Cause that was just easier for me. Um, so yeah, I probably would have not done any self-discovery because a lot of the people that I have found to help me have been on Instagram. So, but only through like the sober gate side of Instagram. Right. You might not have even reached out to any of those Instagram accounts 
or the sober right. universe of Instagram. Right. So. Yeah, I think it's a kind of um, consensus here that neither of us would have done much digging. No, for sure. Because, like, in the first year of sobriety, I didn't even do any digging. I was just worried about staying sober, so. Right. And that's when you already gave yourself that gift of sobriety, so it doesn't come all at once, but. But that was the first time I decided I deserved more in my life. And look what you got. You got it all. I got it all. (laughs) Brains and beauty. (laughs) All right. Well, Kaylin, I hope that you stay safe. Thank you, Catherine. I hope you stay safe as well. And thank you, everybody, for joining us for another after party on this thirsty thirsty Thursday. (laughs) Thirsty Thursday. You can't stay here because you got to stay home. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Thanks for joining the after party brought to you by the Sober Kates. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. And if you want to keep the after party going, follow us on Instagram at the Sober Kates.